Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and welcome to season two of the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with strong leaders from all over the globe. Here, you will learn from peers you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolbox. Because whether you're a C-suite executive or a first-time entrepreneur, we all contend with challenges and there's always room for improvement if we choose to seek it. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. And once again, I have met another gentleman that I want to introduce you to, another heart-centered connection, another serendipitous alignment. And I'm excited for this interview because this gentleman has multiple decades in HR and it's going to be fun to unpack his story and transition. So let me tell you a little bit about Will Shermer. He spent 23 years in the field of human resources, and he worked with both national and international firms. Based in Europe for 12 of the last 27 years, Will says he's been fortunate enough to work with some great colleagues based all over the globe. His leadership career has spanned financial services, banking, consulting, healthcare, and relocations within several management industries. He likes to say that he has spent many years helping companies manage talent more effectively, including creating and deploying leadership development programs. So Will, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I certainly appreciate the opportunity to be here with you today. Well, I'll tell you what's fun is when we connected and I looked at the span of your leadership trajectory for your career, you and I have a similarity in that we've worked in many sectors. So we're going to talk about that today. And I love that you use the word talent as opposed to people. We've really come a long way with languaging in HR. So I am ready with my leadership questions if you are ready to go. That sounds great. So share with us, you, you talk about leadership in the context of gaining results by capturing both minds and hearts. And, and you know, I'm everything all heart centered. So how does aligning the two capture within your leadership? Unpack that for us and tell, tell, us, tell us and the listeners what that means. Yeah, I think... Early in leadership careers, and I think early in my, my own as well as in my HR career, you get an impression of what leadership is. And, you know, sometimes it is very seen as being very transactional, very performance driven, very matter of fact that, you know, you're, you're there to get results through the work of others. And that's, that's true as a leader. But oftentimes leaders are not particularly, I'm going to say, insightful about how they, they motivate others. And you'll often see this early in people's leadership careers. If you ask them the, the sort of motivations that they rely on, they'll tell you things like, well, it's all about pay and bonuses. It's all about the contests and the, you know, the, the Friday pizza parties that they have. There's an underemphasis, undervaluing of looking at intrinsic motivators in people. You know, ex extrinsic motivators are... They're commodities. Anybody can use those. The company down the road 
uses those. So if you're relying on them as a leader, you're in a very perilous place. The company down the road can give a bigger bonus, higher salary, you know, better Friday lunches, whatever it may be. But when you use the intrinsic motivators of people, you know, the things that capture both their mind, <clears throat> excuse me, and their heart, you're really tapping into uh, a renewable source of energy as leaders and, and something that benefits not just the company, but of course, the employee and you. So these are things like purpose, meaning, people's wanting to feel significant, inclusion, affiliation, progress, achievement, all, all of these things, and we could go on and on, but these are things that really drive people over and over. You know, and when people leave a job, they rarely leave for money. Sure, they get more money down the road as, a, as an aside, as a byproduct of their job search, but it's not the reason they search. They search for other reasons. So I think part of, of the growth in my own leadership career, as well as the work that I've done, is really about that understanding that you know, leadership is, is very different from management. You need both. And you've got to learn what motivates each individual on your team. You know, what do they dream about? What are their aspirations? You know, what really does capture their imagination and what tugs at their heartstrings? And when you do that, you move from being an effective leader to really a great leader. And that is, is probably one of the biggest learnings that, that I have, uh, have gained in my career and focused on in leadership development is that, you know, telling first-time leaders, leadership is not about telling people what to do. Leadership is about encouraging them through their own motivations to act in a way that benefits both themselves and the organization. And, and that's truly the alignment of the head and heart that you speak of. And you brought up such a great point about extrinsic motivators. And I do believe there's a place for them if they're offered in an intrinsic, aka heart-centered way, because who doesn't like a good competition? It can be framed as team building. It, it can be so creative and innovative, yet progressive, if it's anchored in intrinsic validation. I think that's such a great point. And I've had this conversation with a lot of folks that work, work in HR. So I'm really glad that you brought that up and framed it the way you did. I'm going to change the sequence of my questions because what we just talked about led nicely into my third question. So I'm going to, I'm going to exchange the sequence that I normally do. So my second question is the way you just unpacked and talked about transaction and reciprocity, which to me you know, the definition of heart-centered leadership, my version is honoring your connection with that person, being fully present, listening, not with an expectation or an outcome that's reciprocity or viewed as transactional. And it, it's a great debate. It's a great conversation. But where I want to go with this with my next question is, from an HR perspective, do you really feel that the great resignation boom was born out of unprecedented times? Or do you think it's always been there and why? No, and, and I don't know the extent, how, how much of the great resignation is born in fact, and how much is a media, I don't want to say concoction, but a sort of media generated where media is actually making news rather than reporting it. Now, there is no doubt that it has now become an employee-focused marketplace. 
And that is certainly true. Now, that ebbs and flows. That happens periodically. We go through economic cycles roughly every decade, where, let's say, two years ago, people were holding on to their seats furiously during the pandemic. Now, there indeed has, has been a growing competition amongst employers for, I'm going to say, the best and the brightest employees. Now, it is true to say, I think, that those employees who are indeed focused on extrinsic motivators, money, can probably go down the road and get more. And that is true. And perhaps those that had less choice in a typical market uh, have more choice now. And typically, again, those employees that are, let's say, high performers, high potentials, tend to have good choice regardless of the market. You know, I think that there's always competition for good talent. Now, I think right now there's competition for any talent. It is true to say that many organizations are saying, look, I, I need bodies to fill seats to get work done. And, you know, that is the difference. But that happens, again, through every economic cycle. So I don't necessarily have a deep belief that, you know, this is, um, you know, this is born partly out of, out of a unique circumstance with the pandemic. It's born partly out of regular economic cycles. You know, someone asked me this question and they were talking about someone in their particular team. They said, you know, I really need to, I need to force my boss to give my people raises because we have people at, you know, Starbucks or other fast food places now making whatever they make, you know, 17, 15 an hour, 18 an hour. And, you know, I, I don't want my people to go there. And I said, well, if your people are motivated by money, they're going to leave you, right? And if the motivator is money, they will break your heart sooner or later. Now, if they want to go work in that particular industry, there's nothing you can do to stop them. I suspect, though, that they don't want to leave you and work in, in quick service food for 18 an hour. There's something else keeping them here. So I also think, and it goes back to heart-centered leadership, is that what we learned in the pandemic you know, we learned some important lessons about servant leadership and heart-centered leadership, that you can't get away just, just leading in a transactional fashion anymore. That is gone. Those days are lost and gone forever. And those employers and those leaders that insist on managing in that, in that area, they are going to be the losers in the great resignation. I interviewed for one company uh, a couple of years ago, and they were insistent on having everybody in the office. And one of their executives said, I lose IT people regularly because, of course, my IT people can do work anywhere and other companies are snapping them up. When leaders stubbornly insist on leading in an archaic way without a good sense of leading with both head and heart, they are losing in the great resignation. But again, I think that that great resignation is probably occurring, I'm going to say, at the low to mid end of the employer market. Uh, in terms of the levels of personnel. You know, we see greater turnover at entry level and maybe second level positions. That's where the great resignation is hitting most companies, I think, most significantly. Well, there's so much to unpack there. You know, if I look at ghosting, I remember when I first learned that term working with a company and it was an IT company that has global offices and they were just dumbfounded at the lack of communication. And I remember the, the VP of people and talent saying, it's not new, it's just rose to the surface. 
And that was the fall of 2018. So now here we are, you know, at almost at the end of Q1 2022, ghosting still has a predominant footprint. And I think the great resignation boom gave people time to think and pause because they were at home for those who were in the sector that, you know, were not on the front lines or maybe didn't have a hybrid right away or had a hybrid and then were back at home and had kids at home. I think it's been a real cognitive, emotional self audit, almost that looking inward intrinsically at self to level up self-awareness. And I think people have changed their motivators leaning more towards that intrinsic value. And I can share with you, like since March of 2020, I have had 57, five, seven executives move to a new company and even a new sector because they had that time to pause or realized they were feeling or the company culture had become a bit complacent. So I always value listening to someone with extensive HR experience like you, because we all have our different lens from our own career trajectory, right? And and our own experience of, of, of what we have done with clients around the globe. And I still think it's an, un, uh, it's an interesting time. We're still navigating this unprecedented tsunami And I think you hit the nail on the head. It's really an employee focused workplace now. And I still think we're in the middle and I think it's still messy. Will. I think we got a long way to, to come out. And, you know, I I also love what you said, just because it's a news story doesn't necessarily mean it's newsworthy. Yes. and, And you're right. You know, at any level, whether you're an executive or someone who's entry level, If the culture feels off, and I think this, again, happens in those economic cycles when it is an employee's market, you have more choice out there. And the pandemic has allowed us time to reflect on what we feel is a healthy balance between work and life. And that has, you know, there's a paradigm shift that's gone on there the last couple of years, and that is real. And so it's absolutely true to say that, you know, culture has never been more important in terms of where it lies in attracting and in motivating and retaining employees as well. And that is a good thing long-term for organizations. Those organizations that don't have those healthy cultures are going to lose that battle for talent, and that's okay. Now the standard has been raised in terms of uh, how healthy organizations will be in terms of their culture. That's, you know, that's fantastic for, I think, the working population at large. There's definitely some wins and, and we can we can fill the scale on both sides. People are realizing the extrinsic is enticing, but having your health and mental well-being, it's pushed to the to the forefront now. And it's not just looking at self. People are making decisions as families. So interesting. Okay, my third question has permanent residency on the show. We've asked over 170 guests this question. What imperfections, hence the name of the show, Will, do you bring to your heart-centered leadership? You know, uh, probably uh, brevity. You know, I love to talk, like most HR people. And I think one of my imperfections I've always worked on and received feedback on was to take my reports, cut them in half, cut them in half again. 
So I took that to heart and I think became fairly adept at, at graphically representing data. So that was one thing I learned, you know, the hard way with certain executives is the attention span is brief. You don't have much time to capture and maintain interest. So, you know, give them the Cliff Notes version, have all the detail in your back pocket, use the picture to tell a thousand words. Tell it with a kind heart and a line mind, and we're going for full-on progression, no perfection. I, I love it. My last question is, if you were to give advice to a young adult who may be pursuing or looking or considering a role in the HR sector, what advice would you give to that young person today who may be navigating academic decisions given the times we're still in? This is a people-focused business. You know, relationships are the currency in which we trade in HR. So you have to be extremely aware of that and that you are going to be dealing with people much of the day, every day. Now, it may not be direct conversations, but you are going to be acting as counselor, referee, shoulder to cry on, decision maker. No two days are ever the same. You have to be very comfortable with ambiguity and change in HR and to understand really that if you have a genuine interest in helping to enhance the experience of employees while adding value to the employer's bottom line, that's what this job is about. But you know, if that sense of, of, of selflessness and genuine interest in others, and I think this is a very other-focused role as well. It's not about you capturing interest. It's about you making others seem like they're the most interesting people in the room. That's what we do. We sort of facilitate behind the scenes. It's a great career. It's an interesting career, I think, as well. You know, organizations do always need people to help counsel them on, on how to uh, use talent effectively. But, you know, it's also demanding. So I think that it's a wonderful career choice for people who want to challenge themselves intellectually and also in terms of their emotional intelligence. But be prepared that this is a different, other focused sort of career. You know, much like teaching, I would say, much like some in healthcare as well. So we're, we're facilitators, we're enablers. Adam Grant would say we're givers. The best are givers. So yes, I love that. And, and I'm going to repeat, I'm going to repeat that quote you said, because I think it's so powerful. Relationships are the currency we trade. Yeah. So I think many leaders don't get that. They view leading as transactional, quid pro mm -hmm. quo. And that may get you something in the short term, but in the long term, it doesn't endear you to anyone and it doesn't build loyalty. I love that. Okay, I'm going to switch to my fab four. These are just four fun, rapid questions. We just want to know what's sitting on the top of that brilliant mind of yours, Will. First question, tell us something we don't know about you. I'm an author. People may or may not know I'm an author, but one of the things that uh, the pandemic I suppose helped me with is I did have a little more time to self-reflect and we all probably think we have a book in us somewhere. And um, I was able to take time and, and, and write a couple books. Good for you. Congratulations. We'll make sure that we, uh, we put links to that in the podcast episode description below. Second question, what book have you read that was really life-changing for you? Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. I really liked 
that book. And, you know, we've all encountered, I think, in our careers, leaders or others who have allowed pride and ego to inhibit their effectiveness and maybe to become a, a toxic for, force in the workplace. And I, I really like the book. I think Ryan is a great author. He's, he's written several books that are, that are excellent. But I think it is a good warning you know, to leaders and to others about how arrogance and narcissism uh, can be a leader's worst enemy. And, and I think every leader should read it. It's a great book. And I talk a lot about my Irish Nana on the show. And she used to say to me, I think going back to like age nine or 10, she used to say that butterflies in our stomach are there for a purpose. And as I, I aged and matured, and then I started speaking in front of people, she used to say to me, the butterflies are there when you step on the stage to remind you to keep your ego in check and that it doesn't have a place in who you are or what you're doing. So that's a great book. Okay, third question. You get to have dinner with any leader you aspire to meet. This could be a leader that's living or has passed away. Who would that leader be and what would the dinner conversation be about? John Maxwell. I would say I'd love to have I'd love to have dinner with John Maxwell. I really admire, you know, what he's done in building a leadership legacy that's touched so many individuals. I think he captures both head and heart very well in his writing and in his consultancy. You know, what he does really resonates with me. So we'd be talking all about leadership itself and I think how to ensure that leaders understand the burden of, yes, getting results for their organization, but also you know, there's a social contract employees have with their organization and leaders and, and to make sure that leaders understand that they're stewards for talent and they need to leave people better off than they found them. Um, so we talk a lot about that, but I, I would love to have dinner with John Maxwell. Well, we've put it out there. So you're, you're going to have to tell me when it happens now for sure. Exactly. Well, maybe I'll just have to send him a, a copy of our podcast and who knows, right? There you go. Yeah. Before I end the show, having you finish our sentence for our fourth question, I just want to say that I always believe people end up getting connected for a reason and super grateful that you had the, the time and to share your expertise, but more importantly, give us a little glimpse into to Will's heart. So thank you for spending some time with me today. Really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. I'm going to have you close out the show by finishing this sentence for us. Heart-centered leadership is? An understanding that people are driven by feeling. And that is what motivates their thoughts, their behaviors, and their actions. It's all about feeling. You've been listening to the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I'm Deb Crow. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review the show. And I'd love it if you'd visit my website at debcrow.com, where you can sign up for my newsletter and get access to the Heart-Centered Leadership Toolkit, all free of charge. Thanks for your time, and we'll see you again.